Welcome to the 56th episode of the Headkick KO podcast. Today we are doing a breakdown of UFC fight night, Islam Makhlchev versus Bobby Green. We're probably only going to talk about three fights from that card in detail, and we're gonna. I've got a couple of small things to say about some other fights, but after that we are going to take a look at next week's fight card, which is UFC 272, and if you don't know, that is headlined by Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. Now, um, let's get started right at this week's main event of Islam Makhlchev versus Bobby Green. Now, we're I'm going to do a brief um, breakdown of that performance from Islam Makhlchev, but the majority of this discussion is going to be focused on Islam and where he stands in this division, and kind of how fans perceive him, because I feel like I have some pretty interesting thoughts. So we're going to go in detail on that, but uh, we'll start with the performance, obviously. Once again, Islam Akhlachev had a very, very strong showing. He is proving why a lot of people view him as a future title holder and is, he is probably going to be fighting for that belt very soon. And from his performance, I mean, the biggest thing that stood out to me was his transitions on the ground. He did a very good job of getting Bobby to the ground early. And then from there, he does such a good job of advancing positions without having to take large risks. You know, when he's advancing, he doesn't give his opponents big opportunities to escape. Instead, he just methodically works from position to position, threatens submissions, and then, like we saw with his Kimura that he was threatening, once Bobby defended that Kimura, he was a, Islam was able to move to full mount and then eventually finish the fight from there. So that was a very strong transition. And I think that is probably the best part of his ground game is those transitions and moving from position to position with very little risk. And then... If you give him an opportunity, he will take that and end the fight. So, very strong performance on the ground. On the feet, he did well. One thing that he was doing that I really liked is he feints very heavy. Um, so, it it's a lot harder to time up those takedowns and your striking when he feints takedowns and overhands so right, or so well, excuse me. So, he did a very good job of that as well. Overall, I was very impressed with Islam's performance. When you just look at um, the X's and O's of what he's doing, he did a great job. Now, to look at the overall opinion of Islam Makhlchev is something that is very interesting to me because there isn't another fighter in the UFC like Islam Makhlchev from a uh, story position, right? Islam Makhlchev, if you don't know, has long been this guy who is supposed to be the next big thing. And this has largely come from Habib and some of the other guys that train at AKA like DC. They've always been saying, hey, Islam Makhlchev is great. Islam Makhlchev can beat top five guys right now. And this was long before he was a ranked fighter. And that helped him get opportunities early. Um, it made some fighters maybe possibly scared of him. But now, I feel like all that talk of Islam being the best in the world, which 
started right after Habib retired. Um, before Habib retired, there were people saying he could beat top five guys. But the second Habib retired, people were saying he was the best active 155-pounder in the world. What that has done is it has set a bar for Islam Makhachev that is very, very tough to meet. If anybody else goes in there and does what Islam Makhachev did to Bobby Green, they would get overwhelming support. And that, the same can be said for his performances against Dan Hooker, his performances against Tiago Moises, uh, his performances against Drew Dober. So Islam Makhachev has had great performances. The problem is everyone expects him to do this, right? In reality, the expectations for Islam Makhachev are so high that when he's beating guys like Bobby Green and guys who aren't ranked in that top five and top ten, he really can't exceed any expectations because the bar is set so highly. And when you look at other fighters, uh, Terrence, I'm going to use Terrence McKinney as an example because he had a great performance, and we'll talk about him more in a little bit. But Terrence McKinney went out there and, and got an early submission, and everyone was hyped for him, right? Everyone was so impressed by this. Islam Makhlchev went out there and got an early submission, and people were, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, this is what he had to do. This is what he should have done. And, and because people have talked so highly about him for so long, he, he really can't do anything that will blow people away. Um, unless he goes out there and starts knocking guys out, that's a little bit of a different story. But he went out there and submitted, or he um, got a TKO over Bobby Green early. He got that submission over Dan Hooker early. And nobody is... People are impressed, but, you know, he's not exceeding expectations, which I think is kind of holding him back in the eyes of many fans. Uh, that doesn't that's not holding him back in the UFC's eyes. But in terms of getting fans to like him, um, it's, it's not great. Right. Because that standard is so high that he just can't whatever he does. It's not going to be good enough for a lot of people because he's just living up to the expectations that are set for him which is unfortunate because I think in a different scenario where maybe Islam Akhlachev isn't as well known and the expectations aren't so high, I think people would speak a lot more highly of him and, and his potential as a fighter. And, you know, there's really nothing that he can do about that. And um, that's not to say that things have not gone well for him because they have, and he's probably going to be fighting for a title very soon. But it's just an interesting thought to me because every time Islam Akhlachev fights, at least half the fan base goes, well, he was supposed to do that. Who cares? And the other half are like, oh, my God, did you see this? This guy's great. And while on one hand he is great, on the other hand, he did exactly what he was expected to do and what people um, expected him to do, like I said. So I just think that is a, a really interesting thing to talk about because I don't see many people talking about Islam Makhlchev, um in terms of who he is as who, who the how the fans view him which is something that is so crucial to any fighter but uh, Islam Makhlchev is in a very unique position in terms of how he is viewed um, and, and I wanted to touch on that because like I said I think it's a very interesting topic to discuss and now that we've kind of gotten that out of the way, just kind of looking at who, or excuse me, kind of looking at how the fans view him, 
But let's talk about what is next for him because this is also incredibly interesting and incredibly unique. Now, um, this also kind of plays into the similar thought where people aren't really impressed, so people don't want to give him a title shot. Well, I'm not even going to discuss that because his performances are impressive. Um, like I just said, people are just overlooking him because uh, it, this is what is expected of him. But um, the main discussion that I have seen after this fight is a lot of people are debating, should Islam get a title shot, right? But nobody has brought an alternative option to the table. Everyone has said, oh, Islam should get a title shot after this. People have said, oh, Islam should not get a title shot after this. But no one has said, hey, Islam shouldn't get the title shot. Here's who should. Because there really isn't another name on the table. And Islam Makhlchev does not have the most impressive resume, resume that you will ever see from a title challenger. I mean, the Armin Tezukian win right now might be his most impressive win based on what we saw in that fight and what we saw from Armin in, in some other performances and what we saw from him in his fight against Joel Alvarez. Um, that's not to demean the Dan Hooker loss, but Dan Hooker really, that that is a very good stylistic matchup for Islam. But um, with a resume of a win over the eighth-ranked fly, or excuse me, when your resume is a win over the eighth-ranked guy who is ju jumping down a decision, ew, excuse me, division, and he is not known for his grappling. You've got a win over number 13 in the division. You've got a win over um, Tiago Moises. And, you know, the resume just isn't what you want from a title challenger. And I, as much as I think Islam is probably going to get the next title shot, I, I, in many circumstances, I don't think he has necessarily earned one. Um, and that's not his fault, right? It is not Islam's fault that he was supposed to fight RDA and RDA had to pull out. It's not his fault uh, that he was supposed to fight Benil Daryush and Benil Daryush broke a bone in his leg. These things aren't his fault, but that doesn't that doesn't um, change the fact that his, the best win on his resume is not the win that you want from a title challenger. But Islam is fortunate enough that he has impressed... Um, some people and if you look at that division right now you've got Charles Oliveira as the champ obviously he is scheduled to fight Justin Gaethje Justin Poirier at number two will not get a title shot because he just lost to the champ and he's probably looking for a fight against Nate Diaz Benil Dariush he obviously like we just said broke a bone in his leg he's not going to be fighting for a championship you've got Islam Makhlchev who um is obviously the person we're discussing. He's ranked fourth. And then behind him in the rankings, you have Michael Chandler, who has two losses in a row, one of them being to the current champ. He's not going to get a title shot next. At six, you've got RDA, who is fighting this weekend, but a win over Rafael Faziv is not going to get RDA a championship fight. And then from there, these people from behind RDA, these people are way back in the rankings and very far from title shots. As much as I love Tony and Dan Hooker and Connor, 
they're not close to a title shot yet. Now, with that being said, this pretty much means that Islam is far ahead in terms of being the next title challenger. So I would have to say that the lack of another major title challenger is really is really the driving factor in getting Islam a title shot because Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje both, they're not going to sit around for eight months waiting for a title challenger to emerge. Once that fight takes place, uh, the winner is going to go, oh, who's the number one guy on the table? They're going to say it's Islam. They're going to say, okay, right? So Islam, fortunately has put himself, or it has been, he is found in a good position when, uh, if there was another good guy at the top of that division who could make a case for a title shot, he might not be getting that title shot. So, um, I think the next move is Islam Makhlchev, um, getting that title shot. And that is not to say that I think fighters should be getting title shots after, um, two ranked wins and you know the lack of resume i'm not saying that should be a consistent thing that is happening in the future of the ufc but right now in this particular scenario it makes a level of sense so i think that's the way the direction that the ufc will go and then we got to look for bobby green because bobby green even though he lost this fight he still is in a good spot. He's in a better spot than he was a month ago, right? Bobby Green is in a good spot. He's got that win over Nasrat, which was still a very, very impressive win. Iaquinta win, still a very impressive win. And this loss doesn't hurt him because, as we previously discussed, no one expected him to win. Now, that raises the question, where does Bobby Green go from here? I think the next fight to make is still Brad Riddell. That was the fight that everyone was talking about two weeks ago when he beat Nazareth. So I think we still go forward with that fight and have that fight open a pay-per-view in, you know, the next couple months. And I think it I think it works out good for everybody at the end of the day. Moving on from Islam Makhlchev versus Bobby Green, the next fight we are going to discuss is Armin Sarukian versus Joel Alvarez. And if you don't know a lot about these guys, these guys are two of the best prospects at 155 pounds. And I am really surprised the UFC booked them against one another. But Armin Sarukian proved that he was the prospect that was much further along in terms of development. I think on the broadcast, they mentioned that Joel Alvarez is still someone who will be in the top 10 one day. And I, I agree with that because I still think he is a very talented fighter and very big for that weight class. But Armin Sarukian and at, put on an absolute tremendous performance. I mean, he's able to get Joel Alvarez to the ground, who is a good grappler. But Armin got him to the ground and just landed some devastating elbows, right? I'm not going to sit here and act like there was some, you know, major technical pieces that were happening here he just got in a good position and threw some massive elbows and ended that fight and frankly that fight probably should have been stopped earlier I mean the the a decent portion of that second round blood is just running into Alvarez's eyes he can't see a thing he can't see the strikes coming and he's just getting hit in the face repeatedly so that fight probably should have been stopped earlier um you can make the case the corner should have thrown in the towel 
Um, some fighters tell their corner, wouldn't whatever scenario, don't do it. I feel like that's in a scenario where there's an injury involved. I think that uh, that would be a very good situation where throwing in the towel makes a level of sense, but um, that that's that's between Joel Alvarez and his corner. And from there, both of these guys, I, I believe, are still in really good positions. When you're looking at Armin Sarukian and who he should fight next, he has a lot of good options. This this lightweight division from 10 to 15 is has a lot of talented fighters. And from 15 to 30, there's probably about 15 unranked guys who are still incredibly talented. So both of these guys have options. Um, right now, those options are going to be far more appealing for Armin, obviously, because he won. And moving forward, the fight that I like the most is you have RDA and Rafael Faziv. The loser of that fight, I think, would be a very interesting matchup. And that's especially if RDA loses. You know, if Rafael Faziv can go in there and get a win, I think RDA versus Armin makes a lot of sense. That's a really good litmus test before you get sent in there against some uh, higher-ranked guys in that division. And if Fazeev wins, I still think Fazeev and Armin makes sense. Um, but I could understand, depending on what happens, I could understand if someone would um, not like that matchup. And that's something that we would have to discuss a week from today, right? And then... From there, if um, that that fight doesn't work out, I think Gregor Gillespie makes sense. Gregor Gillespie is ranked ninth right now. He's behind some of those big-name guys, Connor, Tony, Dan Hooker. And Gregor Gillespie, if we're being realistic, is not going to get anyone ranked above him, a, at least at the moment. So I think Armin versus Gregor Gillespie makes a lot of sense. And then the winner of that would be breaking into a very, very strong position where they would likely get put up against a guy in the top echelon of that division. And the top echelon of 155 pounds is a lot of guys who are very, very talented and are very popular. So I think that would be a good progression in both Armin and Gregor Gillespie's careers. And then for Joel Alvarez, he also has a lot of options. I think Hanatoli Moicano is a good place to look if you are Joel Alvarez. You know, Alvarez did just lose a fight against a ranked opponent, but Hanato Meccano is someone who is just outside that top 15, so he's not really falling too far in terms of quality of opponent. So I think that fight would make a level of sense. Drew Dober makes some sense. Um, Mark Madsen might be an interesting matchup, but I'm not sure that they would want to throw to... Um, up-and-comers in there. Well, I guess Mark Madsen isn't an up-and-comer, but he hasn't fought the top top of that division, even though he's a little bit older. So I think those are all um, interesting matchups that I think Joel Alvarez might see in his future. Now, the last fight that we are going to talk about in depth is going to be Terrence McKinney versus Faraz Zihan. Now, this was an absolutely tremendous performance by Terrence McKinney. We already touched on it a little bit, but um, looking at what we had here, Terrence McKinney comes in. It that, that very first interaction was very strange. It looked like McKinney was throwing a leg kick and slipped. Um, I might be wrong on that, but 
they got tangled up a little bit and they hit the canvas. No big strike was landed. Whether it's a slip, a tangle up, doesn't matter. What does matter is they got put in an interesting position right away and Terrence McKinney came out on top. He had a great scramble. I was very impressed with his ability to scramble from that position and come out on top. From there, works, advances position, gets gets the rear naked choke, and gets the win. This is very impressive because a lot of people like Terrence McKinney for his power and his knockout ability. Well, Terrence McKinney can grapple too, right? His head coach in high school for, uh, for wrestling was Michael Chiesa. He knows how to grapple, right? And he proved that in this fight. So he went out there and got a very, very good win. And he's in an interesting position because he has an interesting story. He has some highlight reel knockouts. He has a very bright potential. So he is a uh, a bigger named prospect that is going to work his way up in this 155-pound division. And this division really has, like we said, has so many talented guys. I'm not sure how fast you want to rush McKinney because he's he's gone out there and put out two respectable opponents very quickly. Um, there's there's several routes you can go. You can go the route of sending him up there, sending him out there against another top prospect. Um, I've seen Mason Jones. I've seen David Onama. I have seen Patty Pimblett. Those are all names that are also guys at 155 pounds where those guys could end up being ranked one day too. So there's that route where you could send them against another prospect in a similar stage in their career. Um, or you can send them send them in there against someone who is a little bit older. Um, from, from that, you're looking at... Um, Rafael Alves, John Mekadesi. Um, I guess I shouldn't say older. I don't know if older is the right word for those guys. More of um, they're not they're not necessarily they're not viewed as top prospects. I should say. I think that would be a better description of uh, the the type of guy we're looking at. And that's not to say those guys aren't talented because they are talented. But um, a lot of people aren't saying there. There aren't many people saying that those guys will be at the top of of the division one day. Jamie Malarkey, well, he's got a fight booked, but um, that makes a level of sense. Um, Jared Gordon, you know, someone, someone in that range. And then if he can beat another guy, you know, it it the potential is there for. Terrence McKinney to fight some really good competition in the near future. When you're progressing someone in that light heavy or lightweight division, excuse me, there are a lot of questions you have to ask. How quickly we want to rush this guy? You know, you don't want someone in there with Armin Sarukian if they're not ready. For an example, you don't want someone in there with Gregory Gillespie if they're not ready. You know, the guys at the end of that division. If someone's not ready and you throw them in there with Brad Liddell or Riddell, excuse me. You know, you're putting people in bad positions. So you got to make sure someone's ready. But at the same time, um, guys are if guys are winning fights, you've got to give them good fights. So it is a very interesting thought process um, for how they push guys forward in that lightweight division. 
And um, Terrence McKinney is not the only guy that uh, the UFC has to ask that question with, whether it's Mason Jones, whether it's David Onama, like I mentioned early. Um, there are 15 incredibly strong prospects at 155, and you have to decide how you're going to match make those guys. And um, just some other quick roundups from UFC Fight Night, Makachev versus Green. Um, Wellington Terman had a, a really slick armbar finish, and I was really impressed by that. Um, Ji Young Kim probably beat Priscilla Casuera. I think she won a large portion of that fight. And um, close fight still, but I, I give the decision to Kim. And another thing to mention with that fight is I will never, ever, ever, ever understand the thought process of giving a fighter a, a belt in jiu-jitsu after they just went out there and had a slugfest. These two had a 15-minute slugfest where they were throwing from the hip, trying to knock each other out, and then you give her purple belt afterwards. That's not to say she doesn't deserve a purple belt, but that might not be the best time when she just got punched in the face for 15 minutes to say, hey, you're a good grappler. You know, if someone wins by submission, then it's a little different, but... And then Ignacio Bahamondes also got a really nice sub, so so shout out to him for that. Um, and now we're going to move forward to next week's fight card. Next week's fight card is headlined by UFC 272. That is not the headline. Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal is the headline, excuse me. And everyone knows this is friends turned rivals. I'm sure the press conference on Thursday will be a wild one. But in terms of the fight, this is a really, really interesting fight. Because anytime you have training partners, these two know each other well. If you train with someone for extended amount of times, you know what moves they like. You know where they're strong. You know where they're weak. And these two aren't far removed from training with one another in terms of their overall careers, right? Masvidal's been in the game for a long, long time, and he's been training with Colby from, I think, before he got in the UFC and before Colby ever had a UFC fight. So they trained together for a long, long time, and they've really only been separated for a year to two. No, it's been longer than a year, probably a year to two years. They've been no longer, they haven't been training partners. So these two, you know, you can only patch so much in a year, in two years, if you're Colby or if you're Jorge. You know, these guys aren't young guys. It's a lot easier to make some patches when you're going from age 24 to age 26. When you're going from age 33 to age 35, it's harder to patch some of those holes in your game. So it's going to be really interesting to see exactly um, who comes out on top of this one? My early prediction and thought process is Colby via decision. And the reason that I say Colby by decision is because when you're looking in the past and you're looking at Colby's fights with Usman, those were some very competitive fights. And I think very highly of Usman, and I don't think very many people could go in there and put on that type of performance against Usman. So I think there is something to say when you go in there and have competitive fights with someone like Usman, where many guys get knocked out. So that has always impressed me, 
Because after I watched those fights, I've always thought, you know, Kamara won that fight, but Colby, Colby impressed me. I think it's okay to say someone impressed you in a loss, you know. In the first fight, you know, Colby had some very strong moments. He didn't win that fight, but you can look at the isolated moments and say, well, this was pretty good here. Um, you don't have to judge a whole fight by the ending. In the second fight, you know, Colby probably fought even better. You know, he didn't get knocked out, so he did fight better. But, you know, once again, I look at that fight. While I don't think Colby won, there's some very, very strong moments in that fight. So that's number one. Um, anytime I watch someone fight and go, oh, wow, I'm impressed, I tend to lean towards them in their next fight. And from a stylistic perspective, I think that Colby should be able to win some rounds, right? I think early, if Colby can get a takedown or if Colby can just hold position up against the fence, right? I'm not, I, I'm not predicting this to be an incredibly entertaining slug, slugfest. Um, I think Colby's going to spend a lot of time shooting for takedowns, working position on the fence, and doing things like that to start to wear down on Masvidal, especially in those first couple rounds. And if he can do that successfully, if he has Masvidal a little tired in rounds three or four, then I think we see the striking come out a little bit more and we start seeing some of Colby's striking because Colby's striking isn't terrible and it's also not great, right? But he strikes in a way that can be tricky to deal with, you know, he, he he does those elbows up against the fence where you think he's going to go for a takedown and he comes up high with an elbow. It's like, oh, wow, you just caught me with a real good elbow. Um, he'll, he'll get a little crafty inside and throw, throw a nice little combo that catches it two or three times. It might not knock you out, but he'll catch you a couple times and, and maybe he shoots for a takedown. But Colby, Colby gets real real strange and he, and he does it in a high pace which I think can cause problems especially if he gets Masvidal tired early um with that being said Masvidal can go out there and knock him out right if Masvidal puts a nice rear kick right in Colby's liver or right in Colby's ribs you know Colby might fold and Masvidal could win this if Masvidal catches him with a big shot, he can end him. And even though I think Colby gets out of this fight with a win, he's going to be in danger for 25 minutes, right? That first minute might be the most dangerous. Minute 25, you might have him tired, but you know that's not to say a tired Masvidal can't put you out. Um, but... Um, I just really have a feeling that that cardio and that grappling is going to win him this fight. I have a really tough time looking at a fight and saying the guy who has better cardio and better grappling is going to lose. Rarely does a guy with better cardio and better grappling lose a fight. Um, so that that's my early thought process as of right now. Um, so once again, uh, uh, I've got Colby by decision. And um, I also could just touch on this a little bit because both of these guys are in really weird positions of their career. And both of these guys have a lot riding on this fight. And I want to stress that. Because if you're looking at this fight from either guy's perspective, 
if you're trying to figure out, hey, where does the loser go from here? Both of these guys, if they lose, it's like, ugh, man. If Masvidal is ranked six right now, if he loses, ooh, you know, two losses in a row, where does he go from here? Colby, his whole stick, a lot of people view Colby as the guy who just can't beat Usman, right? So if Colby loses, he might have a little bit more longevity fighting some guys in the top five. But um, his title contention hopes would be pretty battered. Um, but like I said, if Jorge loses this fight, you're going to have a hard time convincing me he beats Burns or he beats or he beats uh, Luke. You know, maybe that Leon Edwards fight is still there, but um, looks like Edwards is fighting for a belt. So Masvidal is going to have an interesting um, path if if he can't get this, and Colby does as well. So now. Moving on from that, I just wanted to make sure I touched on that because I also thought that was interesting. But the coming event is Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Faziv. Now, this is interesting because on one hand, we have the experienced RDA who, when I think mentally, when I think with my brain, I go, what does each guy have, right? And what can each guy do to win this fight? I've seen RDA introduce a very strong game plan where he can hold you up against the fence and strike well and get out with a win. He did it against Paul Felder, and that fight against Paul Felder, I was really impressed with, where he was able to go out there and and do the things that he needed to do to get a win. And I think he can do that against Rafael Fazif. However, when we look at that, that fight was in... That fight was over a year ago, and since then, RDA has had to pull out of fights with injuries, and he has not, um, he just hasn't remained active. Once again, not his fault, but it's the fact of the matter. Fiziev, on the other hand, has stayed active and has been impressive. So in my mind, this is a real 50-50 matchup and I've got one part of me saying pick RDA and I've got another part of me saying pick Fiziev but um, right now I I think Fiziev can get a win here you know I just think he's been more active and I think he's going to have a big big advantage in the stand-up that I think he can take advantage of once again, if RDA goes out there and gets some takedowns and gets some ground control early, he can get Fazeev tired. We've seen that in the past. Bobby Green won the third round of that fight because he was the more fre- he was the fresher fighter. Um, so you can pull away from Fazeev late, but um, I-, I really like. Fazeev, and I think he's in a, a strong spot in, in his career. And then the next fight on the main card is Edson Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell. This fight is also a very interesting one because we have, once again, another big clash in styles. Bryce Mitchell is going to take you down and try and hold you down and try and drown you and try and choke you out or try and break your arm. He's going to land his ground and pound. Edson Barbosa, on the other hand, he's going to try and stand up. He's going to try and kick your leg off. He'll try and kick your body off. Or he'll try and kick your head off. 
He is an incredible striker. So at the end of the day, this one is going to come down to can Edson Barbosa stop a takedown? Because if Bryce Mitchell gets this to the ground, I, I think he's going to walk away with it. If Barbosa can keep it standing, I think he walks away with it. And if you're asking me who I think is going to win this fight, I am going to lean towards Edson Barbosa. I And I think very highly of Bryce Mitchell as well. But Bryce Mitchell is in a very similar position where he's been injured. He hasn't fought since 2020. And... He, did, he wasn't able to finish Andre Feely, and I just feel like if you leave Edson Barbosa in there too long, he'll take advantage of it eventually. So I'm leaning towards Edson Barbosa finding a knockout finish somewhere in this fight. And then the next fight on the main card, we have Kevin Holland versus Alex Oliveira. And I'm going to go with Kevin Holland in this one. Kevin Holland is a, a tremendous striker, and... I just think that he's going to be able to land some big shots on Alex Oliveira. And Kevin Holland just hasn't been able to find his footing. You know, he's had some he's had some bad matchups and some tough outcomes like that Kyle Dowskis fight. And I think he finds a footing here against Alex Oliveira and gets back on the proper path. And then the last fight on the main card is Sergey Spivak versus Greg Hardy. Give me Sergey Spivak. And do I really have to give an explanation? I mean, uh, I think Greg Hardy is a, is a good boxer, but he's he's been shown to get knocked out. And I just think that Sergey Spivak is going to be able to go in there and... Um, withstand some of that boxing and maybe he finds some takedowns maybe he finds a submission but um i'm leaning sergey spivak once again however if greg hardy can go out there and put a big right hand um or, or put a big shot on spivak he will win this fight so i'm not counting greg hardy out but um i lean spivak and then marina rodriguez and yao shaunan is on the prelims I have no clue why. The winner of this fight will be fighting probably for the belt. So I'm very surprised this is a fight on the prelims, but whatever. And I'm going to lean Marina Rodriguez. I've been impressed with Marina Rodriguez and, and the win she has. She's got that win over Michelle Waterson. And she's got a win over Amanda Hebas. And she's got a win over Mackenzie Dern. Hibas and Dern are two people I I am very high on in that division, and Marina Rodriguez was able to go out there and finish both of them. So uh, I lean Marina Rodriguez getting a decision victory in in this fight. And we're going to jump around. We are not going to go in any decent order. We are just going to pick fights that are the fun ones to talk about. Umar Nurmagomedov versus Brian Kelleher is a strong fight. I did not um, know that that this was happening until recently because Brian Kelleher fought in January, so he is right back in the octagon. Umar Nurmagomedov is someone who I am very high on. 
as his last name suggests, he is a family member of Habib Nurmagomedov, and Umar lives up to the last name well. He can grapple, but with Umar, he can also strike, and he has some deadly, deadly kicks. Um, he has some of my, he is he is one of my favorite fighters to watch, just because of the way he throws kicks. I am very high on Umar. Umar and Saeed are probably well. Saeed isn't technically related to the Nurmagomedovs, but he's kind of grouped in with all of them. But Saeed and Umar are two of the guys that I'm higher on in, in terms of prospects. I'm very high on Umar Nurmagomedov, especially. So I think he's going to go out there, and I think he's going to find a finish against Brian Kelleher. Now, whether that's submission, whether that's knockout, um, I'd probably lean submission because I can see him hurting Brian Kelleher and then and then going to some the submissions to get a finish. So I would probably lean via submission. Um, well, there's another fun fight on this card. Which one? Well, there's a lot of fun fights, but um, well, here it is: Tim Elliott versus Tagir Ulabekanov. Um, Tim Elliott is a very interesting fighter to watch. Um, I love watching flyweights as well, so that adds another interesting bit. Tagir only has one loss in his career, and so he is someone who's in who's in aim to look out for at 125 pounds. So I am I'm looking out for for, for that fight. Um, a couple other fights we're gonna go through the rest of these pretty quickly. Jalen Turner versus Jamie Malarkey. Um, should be an interesting fight. Kenny Nadichukuk is uh, absolutely butchered his name. I am so sorry. He is fighting Nick, and we're just going to call him Nick because I also can't pronounce his last name. Once again, my bad. Those are two tough ones. I try to do my best, but those are tough, tough names. Um, that should be an interesting fight. Um, both those guys are cool to watch, especially Kenny Kennedy. He gets in some... He gets in some battles. And then you've got Marianne Moroz versus Maria, Mar, Maria, Marianne and Maria. They're very, both very similar names. Um, Agapova. Um, really interesting fight here. Two contenders and up-and-comers. Or not, con, not um, contenders yet, but possible future contenders in that women's flyweight division. So I, I think this is a fight to look out for because I think the winner of this fight could be in a really good position at 125 pounds um, down the line. And then Ludwig Klein, former um, Ultimate Fighter contestant, taking on Devante Smith. This should be a good one. And I am going to lean Ludwig Klein on this one. Um... And then the last fight of the night is Dustin, or the first fight of the night, the last fight that we, we're going to discuss is Dustin Jacoby versus Michael, also can't say his last name, my apologies, once again, Michael O. Um, another good fight, this fight has a lot of, this card has a, a lot of really good fights. Um, Michael's back in the win column with two big wins after taking a couple losses to Jimmy Crute and OSP. But um, overall, from top to bottom, I'm really looking forward to this card. Some very fun fights, obviously. A tremendous main event. So um, I'm very excited to watch this one. 
unfortunately, um, I am a college student and I am going on spring break. So that I will be gone over the weekend. So I will not be recording an episode a week from today, next Sunday. So there will be no breakdown for UFC 272. I was trying to figure out a way to do it. Um, I was thinking maybe audio only. I decided not to. It bums me out because I did uh, I did want to talk about that. But what can you do? Um, I might... I probably won't talk about it at all, honestly. Because by the time I get back here, it's going to be a week old. No one's going to really care. So um, no, no episode next week. Um, the week after that, we will be back. And I don't even know what fight card that is because I've been looking forward to 272 so much. I will pull it up, however, to figure out. Um, the week after that, we have Tiago Santos versus Megomed Anklev. This card is a very fun fight night card. You've got um, Marlon Rice and Song Yudong in the co-main. That's a good fight. Sadiq Yusuf versus Alex Caceres. Great featherweight fight. Khalil Roundtree, Carl Robertson. That's a good one. Drew Dober versus Rick Glenn. Did not see that fight announcement. That's a good one. Alex Pereira versus Bruno Silva. Another tremendous fight. What else do we have on here? That is... We'll just leave it at that instead of naming every single fighter that's supposed to fight. But that's a really good fight night card, so I will be back doing a breakdown of that. That is in two weeks, and then the week after that, we've got Volkov versus Aspinall, and that is UFC London. So there are three tremendous cards back-to-back-to-back. Like I said, I'll be missing UFC 272. That is my bad. But um, while we're doing all this house cleaning, you might as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. While we're doing all this house cleaning, you might as well go and subscribe to my tick or follow me on TikTok, follow me on Twitter. Both of those head get KO podcast, same logo. You can find it, and if 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 you'd like to, obviously, and make sure you like and subscribe. And that is all I have for this week's episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. And as always, thank you so much for watching or listening.